Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Fourth Estate, the show that brings journalists together to discuss the week's media affairs. Coming to you from 2SER and right across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name's Marilyn Hetrilis. Coming up, Eddie Maguire is back in the spotlight, performing his well-rehearsed non-apology routine. This time the Collingwood Football Club president is sorry not sorry, we didn't get his sexist humour. And a current affair goes where they've never been before. In fact, where they claim no television crew has been allowed since 2014, the Nauru Detention Centre. Joining me in the studio is freelance sports writer Erin Riley. Hello. Hello. Also journalist for The Guardian, Bridget Delaney. Hi. Hello. And ABC journalist Brianna Parkins. If you'd like to get in touch with us via Twitter, you can find us at 4th Estate AU, all letters, no numbers. Well, as we go to air tonight, Adelaide and North Melbourne are about to kick off. But Eddie Maguire isn't doing his usual pre-game coverage for Fox Footy. Instead, Sarah Jones will be making her debut in the role. Maguire has said, The events of the week have emotionally and physically flattened me. No doubt Walkley award-winning sports journalist Caroline Wilson is feeling it too. After all, the joke that caused such a controversy this week was at her expense. Here's the Triple M banter that landed Maguire in hot water. In fact, I reckon we should start the campaign for a one-person slide next year. Caroline Wilson... And I'll put in uh, 10 grand straight away, make it 20. And, it, and if she stays under, 50. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys? Who yeah. else is up there? I know you're in JB. No, is, I'm straight in. Yeah, yeah. I'll be is, in amongst it. Is, yeah. is Duck there? Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm here, mate. Yeah, Duck's in. Uh, Danny, you're yeah, in. I'm in, I'm in, Ed. Mate, I, yeah. I, think we could, we, I could do an auction here today. I'll actually jump in and make sure she does. I'll hold her under, Ed. And I reckon we could charge 10000 for everyone to stand around the outside and bomb her. Yeah. Oh, I'm on Caro's side oh, now. Now, I'm on Caro's side these days, Ed. Oh, no, I thought Ed she'll, 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 hey, she'll burn you like everyone else, mate. She's like the Black Widow. Hey, she just I... sucks you in to get you, and you start talking to her, and then bang, she gets you. Ed, <laughs> if you ran that auction from down there, I reckon you'd start grabbing some bids out of the seats too. You'd be, <laughs> money piling in everywhere. Oh, that'd be magnificent. I think we should do that next year. It's all, it's all good for footy. Bloody oath. <laughs> Maguire has since apologised to Caroline Wilson, his self-confessed frenemy, but the media frenzy rages on. Bridget, what was your reaction to Maguire's so-called joke about Wilson? Uh, My reaction was, isn't it time we've had enough of these jokes, which are only funny to like a small amount of people and that rely on victimising or mocking someone who traditionally has been mocked or overlooked or um, laughed at? I'm talking about jokes not just about women, but also jokes about... 
um, people in the LGBTI community, um, jokes about Indigenous people. Uh, you know, I just heard that and I thought, when is this going to stop? And when are we actually going to um, say to people like Eddie Maguire, this is no longer funny, you're speaking to such a small portion of um, of the population and, you know, maybe it's time, like he's doing this week, to give someone else a spot in the chair. On the footy show last night, the mockery continued, as we know, with AFL commentator Sam Newman defending Maguire and calling Caroline Wilson an embarrassment. He said even if she were underwater, she'd still be talking. Erin, some of the things Newman said were quite loaded. He also called those offended by Maguire's comments excrement. What's going on in the world of sports commentary? Unfortunately, there is this thread of sexism that is still quite prevalent in football. And I think um, those who benefit from the status quo are often quite keen to defend it. So I think what we're seeing with Newman and with um, a lot of other responses is that desire to keep things exactly the way they are and frankly to keep women and other people who are aren't part of that straight white male fraternity, if not out, at least quiet. Mm. And um, Newman also said in the footy show last night that if women like Wilson want to be treated equally, they shouldn't complain when it's too equal. Someone said too much of a big deal is being made out of Eddie Maguire's comments, that it wasn't a gendered attack on Caroline Wilson, um, but Maguire's also called her a black widow, as we heard. Brianna, can we, can we call these comments sexist or is it just a larger pattern of misogyny that people have seen from Maguire? I think if this was Maguire's first offence, we could kind of, you know, almost believe that, sorry, it was a joke line. But this is, I can't even count, actually. There are a lot of articles floating around telling up, you know, just how many ways he's been a, a complete buff head. Um, and it's to the point where the upper house, the New South Wales Parliament, passed a motion calling him a continual buff head. That's his official title now in New South Wales. Um, so I think it is, it's a pattern. It's misogyny at its worst. It's that silent kind of... Joking, but I take it back. But it wasn't really a joke. Um, you know, I've I know sport female sports journalists. I've you know spent a tiny amount of time doing sports journalism, and to be a sports journalist, you kind of have to do play by the rules, both male and female, to gain access. You can't do your job without having access to clubs and players, and a lot of that is sort of going along with it. But women have a certain level of grossness, you know, that women are expected to tolerate to stay in the game and to keep their jobs and to be good at their jobs. Mainstream media didn't take notice of Eddie Maguire's comments until the homespun all-female AFL podcast, Outer Sanctum, made a point of it. Um, why did this almost slip by unnoticed? Bridget, does it make you wonder how many comments like this go by unnoticed by mainstream media? Yeah, I think commercial radio, um, you know, this sort of stuff said all the time. One of the issues is that there's lots of airtime to fill. So this banter this so-called banter, is used um, between panellists and there's not necessarily um, subjects that they're covering. They're just having a go at people. And so um, this kind of toxic stuff happens all the time and it's because it's radio, it does slip by and go unnoticed. And a lot of um, feminists mightn't be listening to that show. It mightn't appeal to them. Uh, so it's lucky that there's people like Erin who um, are keeping their eye on the ball, so to speak. We've also seen Donald Trump say some pretty outlandishly offensive comments, the kind of thing you'd expect would completely derail a politician's campaign, but the opposite's happened. Does anyone think Maguire's comments and his reluctance to publicly apologise properly might actually play to his favour? I think in a certain segment of the football community, absolutely. And I think 
what's more concerning is that there has there have been no real repercussions in terms of punishment or in terms of um, him losing any of the positions that he holds in football. So the message, even though you know the AFL's out there saying this isn't okay, there hasn't actually been anything that's happened as a result. So it's sort of they are conflicting messages, and I think there is a large, not a majority, certainly a minority, but a large minority of people who watch football and who are involved in football culture who think this is fine, this is okay. And I think they'll be encouraged by by Maguire and I think they'll see him as a bit of a hero now. And I know he said as well that his comments were like in the spirit of the day, they were just banter. So you don't think we should give him the benefit of the doubt here at all? I think if you're bantering with someone, normally they're there. Um, I think there's a really significant power differential talking about someone there versus talking about someone who's, uh, you know, not there and not able to have a voice to stand up for themselves. I also think you really have to take into context the fact she is a female journalist. And, uh, you know, that comes with a whole lot of baggage, whether it's, you know, intended to or not. And that has to be taken into account in how we respond to the situation. And also that audio made it sound like it was a complete pylon, you know, like, you in, yeah, I'm in, you know, I can't wait to drown her. And, you know, it's just the whole tone of that conversation sounded very bullying and very uh, kind of threatening, even though it was presented in a kind of joking tone. And that's traditionally what um, men, not just men, but that's what people do when there's a joke that's very hurtful. They'll say, um, oh, just joking. Can't you take a joke? And so then you hit, you get hit by a double whammy where you're seen as humorless and also you've been attacked in the first place. So it's this whole joke thing is used as a mechanism to really um, keep people in their place. And I guess this controversy might make people more guarded about what they say, but do you think it might actually make people question how they think or are we giving Maguire more airtime than he deserves? I think uh, when you see something misogynist or something sexist in media, you should call it out and then move on. I think he's been kicked to death now. Um, and, you know, if we're, if we're not reporting on action, like, so his sponsors haven't officially pulled out from, from Collingwood. Um, Ackman said they're investigating Newman um, and the footy show. Um, but until we sort of get anything real, rehashing it over and over again, I think is just giving him more airtime than he deserves. I kind of disagree because I do think it's such an important conversation and I think it's important that we keep having the conversation. Too often, I think that culture in football, isn't there isn't enough light on it. So I'd really like to see the, um, the conversation continue and f- for there to be a little bit more accountability around that culture. You're listening to Fourth Estate. You're with me, Marilyn Hetrilles, and I'm speaking to Erin Riley, Bridget Delaney and Brianna Parkins. Corey Perkin wrote in The Age this week, I'm not a sponsor or a commissioner, but I am a football journalist who, during the 35 years since I covered my first match for The Age, continues to be astounded by the anger and sexism that often accompany women who enter this sports arena. Do any of you think Eddie Maguire and the Triple M team's insensitive comments about drowning and bombing sports journalist Caroline Wilson reflect a wider culture of sexism still alive in sport? I would say yes. <laughs> uh, absolutely. It's not universal, but it's certainly there. And I think the response even that I've personally had over the last week is very indicative of that. I've had hundreds of abusive messages calling me all sorts of things for um, kind of being involved in this story. And a lot of them are very sexist. Um, 
one of the big ones that I, I asked a bunch of male journos if they get the same thing is, oh, you're just doing this for attention. Um, and apparently very few of them do, yet I've had that comment hundreds, like probably a hundred times this week. It's interesting, that thing about doing something for attention. Um, I was at a school's thing the other day with a lot of teenage girls who want to be writers. And one of the, the problems they had was the amount of vitriol that they might face online um, if they speak out. And one of the things was when I speak out um, on Facebook or um, with a group of guys around, they say, I'm an attention seeker. And we've got to, we've got to get rid of that notion that women speaking out about something um, that isn't cool with them is attention seeking. Mm, um, I know it's rare that men feel that way. Yeah. I, look, I think it's great. The more people, the more the merrier in this debate. And the same reason why the Adams, Adam Goods sort of racism row last year was significant. I think this is significant as well and should play out because AFL is one of those sports. I'm a Victorian and it's like everyone's, you know, everyone's born into a team. People go to games. It's insane. Um, and the AFL want it to be a sport for everyone, and it, and it should be. And that means everyone includes female journalists and everyone includes, like, females, female players if there's a different league. So um, if they want female, female money at the door um, or at the gate, they're going to need to be a bit more um, responsive. And I think it's also important to note that f- almost uh, over 40% of AFL crowds are women. Um, that AF that women are involved, um, they're underrepresented in the upper echelons of the game, but that women have always been involved in footy. Um, one of my favourite stories is from the 1890s. This, uh, I think it was a game between Geelong and I forget who, but the women all, um, it was reported in the paper that the women all took out their hat pins and chased the umpire down the street screaming, kill him, kill him. <laughs> so women have always had this place in footy and I think it's been really unappreciated largely. Um, and I'm really... I, I think it's really important to protect it and to also encourage it. And last week it was announced that the first women's AFL league is starting next year. Do you think a women's league could change the nature of AFL commentary at all? I think that'll depend a lot on how um, how the networks respond. Uh, I think they've got a lot of responsibility there. It is important to note that while I'm super excited about the Women's League, it's only a seven-week competition and it will be run in the pre-season. So it won't be run alongside the men's competition. Um, and historically, there isn't a whole lot of interest in the pre-season competition. So I'm cautiously optimistic, but I'm until we get a full proper length season and full professional players, women who are getting paid living wages, living full-time wages to uh, to play professional football. I'm a little bit sceptical of how much will change. Look, I grew up in Parramatta, so it's the way my people not to recognise AFL <laughs> at all. Um, but in the NRL, you know, we're not going to get a professional women's league soon. Um, but what I have sort of been slightly hopeful about is the inclusive um they're trying to include more women in commentary so Yvonne Sampson was the uh this year was the first female to ever sort of be an anchor at State of Origin which is a, which is a huge deal on a really blokey like smashy up game like Origin and this morning I clicked on the Daily Mail and there was a whole article devoted about how much cleavage her top had shown so the Daily Mail was really surprised that a female host, ho- female host had boobs. That was their uh, their big shock of the day. Shocking take, wow. and also that like Twitter was awash with it too. Like you can't 
I, a friend of mine Googled her today and the first thing that came up was Yvonne Sampson's body. Um, you just can't escape this criticism of female journalists' appearance. And Erin Molan tends to cop it a fair bit for, for being blonde and therefore she must be un, unknowledgeable of the game and she's only there to look at, she's only there because the feminists complained that there was no woman there. It's just, yeah, it's pretty pervasive. Yeah. We talk about an outrage cycle in the media. It's probably been a few weeks since the last so-called gaffe caused a storm. Why do you think things come to the fore in the way they do, Bridget? I think things come to the fore because... I- as I said earlier, people like Erin notice something that, that is in our society that it's almost background noise and we don't pick up on. And they um, and it then is, you know, um, put out there and people think, oh, that's not quite right that people are saying that. You know, I don't listen to Triple M, but a lot of people do. And so surely um, we should be debating if, if this is the sort of, you know, discussion we should have about sports journalists. So that starts to happen and, and people weigh in and there there is a certain breed of person and journalists that will jump on every uh, you know, every bandwagon and give a hot take and then move on and there's not necessarily conviction there. Um, but I think it's good, you know, I think it's it's good that there's stuff that we get fired up about and we can talk about and um, you know, the, any columns I do that are on something that's newsworthy always get the biggest response. If I'm just doing something that's, you know, a bit sort of evergreen, um, it, tends, it tends not to do so well. So there is a hunger out there for um, opinions on the news of the day. And Caroline Wilson, this time she called Eddie McGuire. I'm sure she's experienced um, this kind of abuse before, this kind of language before, but this time she said he crossed the line. Brianna, why do you think she chose this instance to speak out? I just think enough's enough and you can put up with this kind of shit for so long and you just have to call it what you see. And I was really buoyed by the fact that Jessica Rowe came out, um, I've forgotten her name, on Sky News. She also lambasted Eddie Maguire. So he's a repeat offender and he did need to get called out and I think it was just a breaking point for her. Bridget, you use a lot of humour in your work. Um, Who is to judge whether or not a joke is funny? Um, Good question. Sometimes... You have to just put it out there and see, um, you know, see if it is funny. I told a rape joke in a in the office once, not the Guardian. It was a it's a different office, um, or it was, just, it was just an off color thing, and it it just fell like lead. And the only person who looked like a fool and an idiot and unfunny was me. And I've I just think there are some things that people, you know, just are, are uncomfortable with and. You shouldn't joke about them, but you know sometimes you've got to make the joke to see if it's <laughs> if it's going to work or not. Um, you know, also I use, I sometimes use language um, like leftover language from primary school, which I'm not even going to say on air. But it's stuff that you don't even think about. And, and lately, people have been saying to me, using that word isn't appropriate, and I'm mortified. I'm like, oh, okay, I won't do that again. So I think it's good that we're sort of policing each other a bit. Um, it means we're more civil, and I like that. I also, too, have language of the gutter, especially the <laughs> C word. Big fan of that one because um, I grew up out west and I, I worked with the Maritime Union. So it's been really hard pulling that out of my vocabulary, especially mm. at the ABC. Mm. What do you think, Erin, about the PC culture? Look, I think there's something that underpins it all, which is that people hate to be wrong and people hate to be called out on being wrong. But sometimes being wrong is great. You learn something, you can be a better person, you can be kinder, you can be more empathic if people tell you when you're wrong. And I think that really underpins so much of 
the resistance to change. It's that I don't want to admit that I've been doing something wrong. But if we just own it, I think it'd be fantastic. And look, um, something on that is like Bill Leake did a opinion piece a few weeks ago saying, no one laughs at my jokes anymore. It's because they're all politically correct. And this new mob of hipsters is, is, is so unfunny. And it's like, well, no, maybe your jokes were never funny. Um, and I think it's good that we don't feel the pressure to laugh anymore. You're listening to Fourth Estate. You're with me, Marilyn Hetrilees, and I'm speaking to Erin Riley, Bridget Delaney and Brianna Parkins. A second media team have been granted access to Nauru. Last year it was The Australian's Chris Kenny. Now it's Channel 9, a current affairs, Caroline Marcus. Marcus's report, which aired on Monday, was laughed at by some and torn to shreds by others. Dr David Isaacs, a paediatrician who worked on Nauru in 2014, told Crikey, When I saw patients on Nauru, I always used an interpreter. Their English often isn't very good. To try to expect them to express exactly what happened without an interpreter is nonsense. He went on to say that the report was, quote, total whitewash and incredibly superficial. Bridget, do you agree with Dr Isaac's assessment? Did a current affair fail to put the hard questions to the Nauruan government? Yeah, absolutely they um, failed to do that. But a current affair is very different from, say, The Guardian or um, other outlets. Um and also, Nauru has said it doesn't want media in in the the camps that um, are are going to be too left wing or left leaning. So, um, I still think it's good they were in there. I, I think any media in there is a good thing. Um, the the story may have been slightly soft, but I, I'm glad I'm glad it was done. A current affairs anchor, Tracy Grimshaw, admitted before the report was aired that they were surprised to be granted approval to report on Nauru. Brianna, why do you think a current affair was given access where the ABC wasn't? Hmm. <laughs> Loaded question. Um, look, to be honest, I do believe that ACA went through the proper channels. Um, in my own experience, I've had journalists within other workplaces who I've worked with and personally have told me, you do apply to the, to the Nauru government, but you do have to send paperwork through Australia and Australian officials get the final say. Mm. So I do think there was probably no big government conspiracy just to let ACA in and that was it. Um, but I do think that Nauru might have recognised that ACA wouldn't have done a full investigative sort of expose. They probably wouldn't you know, have asked the hard questions. They would have been there and they would have shown what they've seen, but they weren't going to go and do you know, a complete sort of hard chat. <laughs> so I think there was sort of a little bit of, you know, we'll probably pick them. And in what read like a preemptive strike, Caroline Marcus wrote a defence of her report for the Daily Telegraph column the next day. She said, Many average Australians would have watched the story last night and wondered what all the complaining was about. On the whole, the refugees on Nauru are well fed, most live in relative comfort, and they're free to move around as they please. Perhaps that's the unsanitised truth the advocates were so frightened would come out. Is this an accurate, unbiased reflection of the situation from the only television team who's been granted access? I don't think so. Um, I'm not sure living in a tent for three years would be that comfortable. Um, and I think that there are a lot of those things that did come out um, on the program if you were sort of reading between the lines. So, yeah, I don't think that's that's entirely accurate. Um, well, I saw Eva Orner's documentary, Chasing Asylum, which gave a really um, a very different picture of what life was like on Nauru. And so... Um, it's it's very confusing for someone who can't get in there to to know well, what is it really like. I mean, does the truth lie somewhere in between those two depictions? Um, 
I just would love it if more journalists were able to get in there so we can have a more of a kaleidoscope. I know the Nauruan government gets most of its funding from Australia and makes a lot of their money from offshore detention. Does it make sense that they disallow journalists access if that access then threaten their livelihood? I don't think it will threaten their livelihood. I think the Australian government's been quite okay with, you know, journalists not having access. I don't think they're being kept up at night about it, to be honest. So, look, in regards to ACCA, you know, I actually agree. I think it was good that they were there. Um, We spoke to them before they aired the show and they said it was going to be a straight up and down report and it was fairly straight up and down. I believe they filmed, they showed what they saw. Um, they might not have pushed the envelope and they definitely didn't ask any hard questions um, of the officials they interviewed. Um, I took exception to her op-ed in the Daily Telegraph, but I also understand that, look, she writes fairly frequent op-eds about lefties and the loony left and asylum seekers. Um, she's clearly you know, got a line to push. She's trying to make a media personality for herself. She's trying to maybe be the next Meredith Divine. I don't know. Um, but in that space, I think we, she's permitted to be a bit more... I guess, have a personal opinion that's come across. Um, what I found really funny was, you know, we're sort of looking at these depictions of men sleeping in tents that are mouldy and people just being having their lives on hold for years on end. And she actually Instagrammed uh, sunsets of Nauru. Oh, really? Yes, you can look that up. When it comes to a country like Nauru, which is known as being anti-media and frequently squashes human rights issues, what kind of vested interest does the Nauruan government have in allowing or disallowing access to the country? What's at stake for them, do you think? I think if they're um, shown to have um, facilities on there which um, are basically killing people because they're so unsafe or, um, you know, so oppressive, then it can't be good for them. So, you know, there's there's obvious restrictions around um, filming. I just think there's there's a place where, I mean, Nauru and Manus, where people set themselves on fire, where they get infections and then die later on in hospital. Um, That, to me, doesn't sound like they're places that are good places. Um, they sound like places that are, are full of despair. Um, whether Nauru uh, would lose those contracts because um, of negative betrayals, I don't know. I mean, Nauru's been through a hell of a lot in its in its time and um, it's pretty much been used and abused by, you know, like people for centuries. Um, so, yeah. And it's been said the A Current Affair report focused on, you know, little things like how well does the air conditioner work, you know, getting microwaves. a pen. Yeah, <laughs> microwaves, getting a pen thrown at you at school. I think they reported those, you know, like the air conditioning and fridges and kids going to school um, because it's not what people would expect. And as a journalist, you're kind of looking for that unexpected angle. I'm not, you know, agreeing with Aka here, but I do understand why they would have shown those things of being like, you know, we expect, you know, I, you know, still was under the impression that most people still lived in tents and I was wrong. Um, So I understand why they showed those things. I think a little bit too much weight was given to them and they probably didn't have, probably had the time or the access to really also seek out the really horrific conditions and the horror stories. But they think they did the best with what they had, I think. What do you think, Erin? Yeah, I pretty much agree. Um, I do wonder about that, um, that access versus like, the Nauruan government's vested interest in keeping the Australian public on side. And I think they are very aware of that. I think there is a lot to lose um, if public opinion shifts on offshore detention. So I definitely think that that there is – they do have interests in keeping the story 
as mild-mannered as possible. And since the report aired, the Nauruan government have said that only respectful and objective media outlets are welcome and that extreme left activist journalists are refused access because they want to incite violence. How are we to navigate a situation like this? I mean, it's it's really murky. And um, we did an episode on this on Media Watch a couple of months ago where the ABC um, basically reported something that wasn't true. So you're relying on activists who, you know, for better or worse, do you have a line to push? But at the other side, you can only actually gain act like they're the only people who are leasing information. If you send an email to the government department responsible for Nauru, you can wait days for a response, and even then, it'll be a two sentence. So with the government not telling us anything, journalists only have to rely on the people who are talking. Hmm. I think you- it's how we define what a leftist and unbiased journalist is that's so such a problem. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call a current affair an unbiased and objective source. Um, I also expect they'd frame things that I think of as far more journalistically, uh, with far more journalistic integrity as being activist, where I don't necessarily think they are. That's it from us on Fourth Estate. Thanks to my guests, Erin Riley, Bridget Delaney and Brianna Parkins. My name's Marilyn Hetrilles. You can catch us at the same time next week.